0: I guess the first order of business is always to be sure the microphone is working, and that seems to be cooperating this morning. There's a preacher who told a story that's stuck with me ever since he told the story. In ministry, there are these days, like there is as any church member, where being a part of a church is like a bright, sunny, beautiful day. There are other days where it's more like a cloudy, stormy, dark day. And for this particular preacher, he had more of those dark, stormy days in a row after row after row. And finally, he said, it was like I was living at the bottom of a pit. And I would look up and I would see the bright sunshine. And I became convinced that I needed to get out of where I was And move and find somewhere that was more bright and sunshiny. And so he began to climb his way out of the pit. As he got near the top of the pit, he was excited, hoping that he would find another church, another place where he could land that would be on top of a mound or on top of a hill. And it was close to the sunshine and had constant access to all of that. And it was with all of that hope and optimism that he finally got to to the ground level out of the pit. And he looked around and he didn't see any mounds. There was nowhere that he could go and camp out on top of a mountain and finally got out and he began to walk around and he realized that there was a hole here and a hole there and a hole there and a hole there. And each of those holes represented different churches. He was looking for a mound where he could end up. And all he found was different holes and different pits. And sure, this hole might've looked a little bit different, maybe a little bit less muddy, or maybe it was a not quite so deep, but in in the end he decided if he was going to be a part of a church, He just had to decide which of those pits he would jump into. So you know what he did? He went back to the same pit that he had just spent all those months climbing out of. He looked down and he smiled and he jumped back into the pit. See, there's a powerful thing that happens when you choose to be somewhere rather than when you feel like you're forced to be somewhere. Another preacher tells the story of he was at a lectureship. And as he was teaching at this lectureship, uh, he was offering an awful lot of criticisms or negative things about the church and so eventually one person in the audience raised their hand and asked a question and they said if everything is so awful and terrible why are you still here why are you still part of this group this this fellowship thought for a little bit and he said you know i guess i just feel like mrs noah it's dirty and it's stinky but where else can you go See, I think that there is this realization and this recognition that there is a huge difference between the power of a choice and those who feel powerless resignation to circumstances. To choose to be somewhere. In in fact, in the very end of the, the book of Joshua, Joshua offers the people a choice, doesn't he? Choose this day whom you will serve. So what I want us to do this morning is I want to offer five choices that I would like to encourage you to consider making that these are choices that, that I don't want you to feel forced into or locked in, but to see the value of choosing to saying, I am embracing this and I'm choosing to live in these ways. And so at the end, I'm going to ask you to make a choice, but here's the choices that we will be making this morning and considering first choice. Number one, I will be an active and functioning church member, healthy church members contribute something to the church. They do not accept the notion that the church is just there to provide something for them. You remember our text from two weeks ago in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty one: the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Or 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven: now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And we recognize that, that each part serves a role or a function in the whole. And each part then has something that it needs to do to contribute to the overall health of the church. And I want us to ask ourselves, am I a functioning member of the body? Because that's what we are called to be in scripture. And and maybe to ask that question, we have to ask, first of all, where am I? That would help us to begin to ask, where do I need to be? And so the first thing I want you to ask yourself is what's your current investment level in the church? I think for some of us, um, our investment level is non-existent. I don't invest anything, time, energy, effort, money. I don't invest in the church. For others, they would say, I invest the leftovers. I mean, whenever I find an opening in my calendar, I have a few dollars left over at the end of the month, or, 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 or there's an opportunity to do something I hadn't previously thought about, then in those occasions, when there's something left over, I'll give that to the church. There are others who experience a divided investment, they're, 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 they're committed here and they're committed there and they're committed there and they find themselves pulled and, and, and in attention over these different commitments they have. And then there are others who are fully vested. They make it a priority to get involved even when it's not convenient for them as individuals. So where is your investment level? Next thing I want you to ask yourself is how do you feel about your relationship with this church? And again, there's different levels you can place yourself here. Uh, There are the zealots. These are the people who are 100% on board. They're they're excited. They're passionate. And in fact, if you ask them if anything was wrong anywhere, they'd be like, no, this is wonderful and amazing. Then there are people who are satisfied. They are aware that some things are going great. And they're aware that some things maybe are not so great. And yet they find that the the things they are, are happy with far outweigh the things they see as negative. Then there are those who are concerned. They're starting to feel like the negative things are outweighing the positive things. They're they're beginning to ask questions. They're beginning to wonder exactly what their relationship with the church ought to look like. And then there are the exasperated. They're starting to feel like there's just no future for them here. No hope for them to continue. And of course, there is a fifth category that I didn't include because it wouldn't include any of you sitting here, which is done. They're no longer here because their frustration level has reached that point. So where are you in terms of your investment level, in terms of your relationship to the church? It's often hard to get somewhere until you first find out exactly where you are. And I want to encourage you as you go through this process, if you find some things that you are concerned about or that you're just feeling exasperated, if you find that you're not investing a lot and the reason is because of something like this, find someone to talk to about that and come talk to me, talk to one of the elders, talk to a neighbor, but talk to someone. If you're finding yourself at a place where you're like, I really am not willing to commit more because of, find someone to talk to about it. And, and I thought it would be helpful if we define or begin to kind of say what it looks like to be a active and functioning church member. And, and there's a church that has this, what they call the four to one touch plan. And, and I think it's probably a pretty good framework about what it looks like to be an active and a functioning church member. At this church, they encourage everyone to have a touch in each of these four areas. So the first area is worship. Once per week. So the four one is these four categories once per week. Once per week, I will attend a worship event at the church. That's the worship touch. Then there's the service touch. Once per week, I will do something with the express purpose of serving another member of this church. Then there's the community touch. Once per week. I will do something that allows me to interact with and encourage people who are not yet Christians. And then there's the fellowship touch. Once per week, I will organize to be a part of an activity that allows me to get to know other church members. Again, this is not a framework that we use at this church, but I think it's a healthy framework to say an active and involved member is going to be doing things in different areas or different parts of church life. And if there was a fifth that I would add to it, I would say that there would be some sort of financial contribution to be an active And a functioning member, there is an expectation that there would be, if possible, some sort of a financial investment in what's happening here at the church. But what I would do want you to be thinking about and to be remembering is that healthy church members contribute something to the church. They do not accept the notion that the church is just here to provide for them. They make a choice to be active and functioning church members. Second choice I want you to be considering is that I commit to being a part of the solution and not the problem. Healthy church members invest in being part of the solution. In Romans chapter 14, there's an issue that has surfaced. Paul describes it this way. Some believe that eating any, in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. And Paul is really clear about how he understands these two categories. There's the strong and there's the weak. And in 15.1, he says, I am with this group of the strong. Now, there is an option for the strong in that case to bemoan and to complain about those weak people who have not yet understood what God is teaching about these food related issues. But Paul offers a much more constructive and productive way for the strong to respond. In Romans 14, verse 19, he says, Let us then pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Each person is making an active effort to be a part of the solution, even though some people clearly are not in the right in their understanding. And in order for us to do this, Paul will say in Romans fifteen three, for Christ did not please himself. Christ becomes the example. The more Christ like we become, the more we commit to being a part of the solution to the problems that we find ourselves in. I think that there are some people who think that maybe a problem identification is a spiritual gift. And they're very good at this doesn't work. That's broken. I don't like this. This isn't happening. Well, this isn't going well. And, and, and you can have this gift. And, And I would actually agree. I think that there is a giftedness in being able to identify problems, but I think we need to understand problem identification the same way that Paul talks about the relationship between tongues and interpreting tongues. Paul says, when it comes to speaking in tongues, he says, if there is not someone there to translate, what does Paul say? Don't open your mouth. In a similar way, if if you have the gift of problem identification, there needs to be a way that you partner with somebody who has the gift of problem solving. Problem identification does not get anyone very far. But beginning to work the way through the problem, then that begins to add to the overall health of the body. See, here's a formula I think that would be a blessing to a congregation. Number one, you need to be able to identify the problem. One of the benefits and the blessings that we all have is we have unique perspectives about things that we believe are going well and also things that we believe are not going well. And many of those things are almost impossible to address unless you're aware of them. A really small, insignificant um, example, but it makes a big difference for people, is that there have been weeks where our audio has not worked online. And guess what? None of you know that, do you? Why? Because you're sitting here and you're hearing and say, hey, I heard it fine. What we've needed and what we've had that's been very helpful is people online will say, guess what? The audio is not coming through. And that is so helpful because you cannot begin to solve a problem until you're even aware that it's there. And so there's a value in somebody playing this role in helping us to identify problems or things that are not working well. But the second step to that would then to be propose a solution. I mean, what's, what's a way forward? What, what's, what's an opportunity of something that can be done that can begin to address what you've recognized as a problem. And if you can't do that, then at least commit to this third step, which is to being a part of the solution. Maybe, maybe I don't know what the solution, but here's the problem. I'm willing to work for people. There are a lot of problems that one person can't solve by themselves. But if somebody raises the problem and collectively we begin to think about it and address it and pray about it, then the solution becomes more clear because you've agreed to be a part Of that solution. And I think that's what happens in healthy churches. In healthy churches, members invest in being part of the solution. Choice number three I will be a unifying church member. Healthy church members make every effort to maintain unity in the church. Ephesians 4 3 making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We do not make unity but we are called to make every effort to maintain or to keep the unity. Remember, we're all baptized into one spirit. The spirit enables and gifts us to maintain the unity that was given to us. It's like a person who has a car. They don't ever think that they made the car, but they do know they have a responsibility to maintain the car. If you don't ever change the oil, good things are not going to happen, right? And in a similar way, we've been given the gift of unity and we need to, What Paul says is to make every effort. It is a word that points at this sense. It involves to work hard to do one's best to endeavor towards. It requires rigorous effort. If you read the New Testament, or if you read much of any sort of church history or secular history, it it comes pretty clear pretty easily that the natural gravitational pull of people is towards division. In other words, it's easy to divide but it's hard to unify. If I had to give you a choice, you had to choose one of these things and the choice was: which of these things is easier. Would you rather uh, start a war or create peace between warring nations? Which do you think is an easier thing? I would pick start a war every time because starting a war is easy, but coming to a place of peace is difficult. And what Paul calls us into is a people who are committed to maintaining peace. Paul gives us the ingredients that's necessary in the verse before this, Ephesians 4, 2, where it talks about humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love. And we recognize these are not just natural ingredients. These are ingredients that we are gifted with by the spirit. And they are used to bring about a bond of unity. Paul's hope in Romans fifteen five is this, that the God of steadfastness and encouragement, that he would grant you to live in harmony with one another and in accordance with Christ Jesus. Healthy church members, Make every effort to maintain the unity in the church. Choice number four. I will embrace and practice a one another lifestyle. Healthy church members practice a one another focus in their lives. So the the New Testament is packed full of Paul has at least 40 times in his letters that he references what we are to do, our obligations and responsibilities to one another. Here's a list with just a few examples. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Be of the same mind with one another, accept one another, greet one another, serve one another, carry one another's burdens, bear with one another, submit to one another and encourage one another. We want to be one another Christians where we're mindful of what's happening in the lives of others. I think there's two extremes of how we can live in community. We can either live against something or we can live for something. Living against is this negative aspect of a relationship. And what Paul will say is that's what it means to live in the flesh. In Galatians five seventeen, he talks about living in the flesh. He says that these are opposed to each other. So to live in the flesh means we live in a way that is in opposition to each other, who are our brothers and sisters. And yet we live in contention. As Galatians 5, 26 says it, let us not become conceited competing against one another and envying one another. The the, the way that people will talk about this in secular terms is a zero sum game. A zero sum game means if you win, therefore that means I've somehow lost something. And so now we have to compete against each other because for you to gain what you want means I have to lose something that I want. But scripture doesn't at all paint that picture of a zero sum game where I have to be against you or competing with you. Instead, Paul says we can live for one another that what is good for you can be good for God and can be good for the kingdom and it can be good for myself as well. It's not a zero sum game where somebody has to lose, but there's opportunity for all of us as a unified body to be victorious. Paul says, that's what the spirit does talks about these gifts of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the kinds of fruits that are part of churches that live for one another. And so Paul will culminate his conversation in Galatians 6.2 saying, bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Don't you want to do that? Fulfill the law of Christ. And it is by bearing one another's burdens to live in this way. We have to shift away from what we get to focus on what we have to give. I, I believe that we live in a culture that is conditioned us to ask the question, what do I get? What's my benefit? What's my reward? And yet scripture constantly is encouraging us to ask the question, what do I have to give? What can I give that will make your life fuller that will make your life richer. So part of this, we recognize is that we need to learn that you cannot let church be about my preferences and my desires. Here's a principle I want you to be aware of and, and to remember as the size of a group increases. So too, will the number of preferences I need to be prepared to release. As the size of a group increases, so too will the number of preferences I need to be willing to release. This is a silly example, but it's one that hopefully we can all understand. In my household, there are five people and one thermostat. And somehow we have to agree on a temperature with those five people about what an ideal temperature is. And the smaller the group is, the more likely I'm going to be closer to the temperature I prefer. This church actually has two thermostats, but there, it's one temperature we can have in this room. And there's about a hundred people here this morning, 110 people. What is the likelihood that somebody's going to say I'm freezing and somebody else is saying I'm burning up? Probably pretty good. I remember a couple of Sundays ago, I was talking to somebody and they had a jacket on. They said, Craig, it's freezing in here. I said, oh man, yeah, I know. Sometimes it can be kind of cold to some people. And as I'm walking back, there's somebody in a t-shirt who's fanning themselves because they're so hot. So the and and it's it's not just temperature, but so many aspects of our life. It's hard to get exactly what you want as the size of the people you're in a relationship with increases. There's a story about a guy who was stuck on a deserted island, and they finally found him after years of living there on the island. And they had three buildings on the island. They said, what, oh, "What's that building there?" He said, "Oh, that's my house. Uh, that's where I live." "Oh, cool. Okay. What's that building?" He said, "Oh, that's my church." Like, well, what's that building? He's like, well, That's where I used to go to church until I got mad. As the size increases, it is harder for us to find places of unity. But this is what Paul says Philippians 2 3 through 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Healthy church members practice a focus on one another. Choice number five. I will commit to praying on behalf of others in the church. Healthy church members make it a priority to pray for others. Th- there's this, this com- co- common understanding of, of, of ways and types of prayers. Um, and, and the first is this idea of prayers of petition and prayers of intercession. And the prayers of petition are typically prayers on my own behalf, amassing God to bless me or to work in my life in this way. And prayers of intercession are then praying for others. And the question is, do we have a balance in our prayers between intercession and between petition? Not only are we praying um, for others, but we also realize in our prayers, we pray with others and we also pray for others. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, pray then in this way, our father in heaven. And Jesus is reminding, even when I am praying individually, it is a collective prayer because we are praying to our father as a group of people that we pray and we recognize the presence of others, even in our prayers. John Calvin said many years ago, our prayer must not be self-centered to make intercession for men is the most powerful and practical way in which we can express love for them. And this piece feels a little bit awkward, but it's very scriptural. I want to encourage you specifically to be praying for your leaders. There are people who are investing themselves in leading And they need your prayers. Paul Paul does this often. One example is Ephesians 6, 19 says, pray also for me so that when I speak a message that may be given to me to make known with boldness, the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. So healthy church members, they pray for others, including praying for their leaders. I had what I thought was, A genius idea. Until everyone I told about it said, "Craig, you're an idiot." So it's not a great idea. But here's my here's my idea that I came up with. There was a time when it was particularly cloudy in my ministry life and particularly dark in my ministry life, and I got a phone call. The phone call said, "Hey, Craig, you want a job?" And I thought, "Boy, doesn't that sound great?" I can get out of this pit and go and find somewhere that I'm sure doesn't have any problems that I'm sure that there are no issues. And ultimately I said, no, I'm not interested to do it, but that choice was really valuable. So this was my genius idea is I'm going to call my ministry friends like every six months or a year, and I'm going to disguise my voice and I'm going to offer them a job. And if they accept the job, I'm going to say, you got to leave the church. If you're going to take a job somewhere else, leave them now without a job. But if they say, no, I'm not going to take the job. Then I'm going to say, good for you. Because you've made a choice to be where you are. There's something powerful about making a choice. And so I want you to take this morning as an opportunity to say, am I here simply because I think there's nowhere else I can go? Am I here because every time I get behind my car, my GPS tells me to go here and I just show up here. Am I here simply because I was here last year and so I guess I'm here now. Or am I here because I'm making a choice? There's something I want to contribute to this body of believers That I believe that this is a body of believers that I can minister to, but also a body that can minister to me. And so I'm going to read the choices that I'm encouraging you to make, and I'm going to read them slowly and ask you to just to yourself think about whether you're willing to make this choice and commitment this morning. Number one, I will be an active and functioning member of the church. I will commit to being a part of the solution and not the problem. I will be a unifying church member. I will embrace and practice a one another lifestyle. And I will commit to praying on behalf of others in the church. And if there's one of those items that you struggle to say, I could commit to doing that after we sing or while we sing this next song, I'll be in the back Some relatives will be back there. If you want somebody to talk through what that looks like for you, to pray through, to help work through that, uh, reach out to someone because we want to be a kind of a place where each of us can make those commitments. And as we make those commitments, I believe that God will bless us. And so I'll conclude with this word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. And give you peace. And just remember, when we leave from here, we are, we are leaving and we're going from being the church gathered to the church scattered, but we're never left alone. We go with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the love of God, and with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. God bless us. Let's stand and sing this song. And if you need anything, come and find us in the back while we sing this song together.